0: You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Future of Work podcast with allwork.space. My name is Jamie Orr, and today I am hosting Kate Bally. She is with Thomson Reuters Practical Law. Kate joined Practical Law from littler Mendelssohn PC where she worked as an associate in the employment group. Previously she was an associate at Day Pitney LLP and a law clerk to the Honorable Stephen R. Underhill. She is now the co-director of Practical Law's Labor and Employment Service and I am super excited to have you with us from Connecticut this morning. Jamie, thanks so much for having me. It's a thrill to be here, I appreciate the warm welcome. Yeah, so uh, the main thing that we wanna be discussing with Kate today is around you know this whole idea of returning to the office after a long set of closures, both in the United States and around the world, and really what to look at from a law and labor perspective around safe reopening and things that employers might need to be looking out for in terms of uh, employment liability. So, you know, employers really want to ensure they're reopening safely without rolling out that red carpet for litigation and employees want to feel secure in going back to work. So Kate's going to help us with some tips and resources around that. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, There's a lot of question marks for both employers and employees about returning to the office. Even if they're not going to, so you know, even that's a big, a big source of debate right now. Uh, so for those that are reopening their physical office spaces, um, what are some of the things that that you're seeing that employees are most concerned about?
1: Yeah, great question, Jamie. So as you can imagine, employees are finding themselves up against so many stressful circumstances in this unprecedented season, uh, and it's not just the pandemic. In terms of the economy, we thought we were going to see, according to the Dow Jones, a million new jobs in our April jobs report, and that, of course, did not happen. We saw more like 266,000. Um, we're still, you know, recovering, and employees are reeling from layoffs and furloughs. Um, it's really been a stressful season economically. On top of that, we've got this politically charged environment. We're still seeing. Um, lots of police use of excessive force against African Americans, we're seeing racist attacks against um, Asians, we're seeing anti-Semitic violence, so there's so much going on, it's not just the pandemic, but of course the pandemic rages on, we're not quite done, we're making lots of progress of course, and that's really encouraging, so we've got this context and we've got people very fearful and nervous, but we've also got hope, and that's what we are um, eager to focus on, of course, as a nation, as a planet, um, so where are we? Um, well, the virus in the U.S. has infected uh, three, 33.2 million people, which is just daunting. And in terms of deaths, we're looking at almost 600,000 Americans having died of the coronavirus um, just in the United States, which is really frightening. Um, the rolling seven-day average has come down in terms of new infections. It's uh, now at about uh, 28,000 um, for that rolling uh, day, seven-day daily average. but um, that does represent a, a, a 19% uh, lower than what we had seen previously, so that's good news. But, of course, people are still very, very aware of the virus and still fearful. Um, as you probably know, uh, President Biden's goal was to get us to at least one dose for all American adults, um, 70%. Um, and we are on track as of May 20th, we were at 60.5% of Americans having had at least one dose. So we're on our way here in late May. Um, so what are employees thinking about now? Well, they're sort of coming from this crazy environment and they're looking ahead and they're hoping that employers can be part of the solution to, to focus on rebuilding, repairing, uh, moving forward into a post pandemic world and redefining it. So. Some of the things they're focused on, Jamie, are mask wearing um, from a health and safety perspective and also a political uh, and sort of practical uh, point of view. Health and safety measures, you know, what still matters, not just masks, but are we still doing the hand sanitizers and the cleanings and the what's, what's sort of the best protocol as we think about coming back into the workplace and back into just being with one another. Um, of course, the vaccine, um, we did a, a practical law uh, webinar on the 20th of may that was really well attended because everybody is interested in learning more about the vaccine what it means for employees employers and and everybody else Um, and then all kinds of related issues child care as we head into the summer you know it's it was a little easier with the school year for many parents and now we've got the complications of child care with the summer ahead of us which is both daunting and exciting and um, complicated in terms of the pandemic and then transportation just kind of getting from place to place uh, in the midst of the ongoing pandemic. So those are, that was a long-winded way of saying there's so many things that folks are focused on and employers have a real opportunity to be part of looking towards the future.
0: So yes, yeah, so with all of those different concerns, I mean, that's a lot for employers to be thinking about in terms of how to best support their employees, considering there's, you know, all of this is on all of our plates. Uh, So, you know, what are some of the things that that you think that employers should be doing in order to address some of these major issues?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question, Jamie. And there's so many things employers can do to be part of our progress towards a post pandemic America and world. Um, I think first is not so much legal, as just sort of human, which is to be patient and try to be a good listener with your employees. Um, acknowledge all this craziness we've been going through as a country, as a world, um, just acknowledge that it's been very difficult. And for those employees that have been with you working hard to keep keep the lights on, say thank you um, and acknowledge that it's been a tough year. I think just those gestures really mean a lot to employees who are um, trying to be part of the success of your enterprise. Um, and then beyond that, think about having a really good plan. You know, what does it mean? Are you are you staggering return? Is everybody coming back? Are you gonna have um, people coming in in certain days, remote certain days? What does it mean? You really need to explain the plan and think it through. You need to invite to the table all the folks who need to take a um, position on some of these things like HR, legal, you know, you've got IT issues to deal with. All kinds of folks need to be part of coming up with that good informed plan get up to speed on legal developments. Um, Just today, the EEOC came out with guidance um, that I worked really hard to get through as quick as I can. But anyway, so that's just by way of saying that um, things are changing so quickly. We're seeing lots of new developments. We just learned recently that Montana has made vaccination status a protected class. Santa Clara now has a requirement that businesses inquire with respect to vaccination status. So there's lots going on. Um, Practical law has a tracker that we've been um, maintaining since the pandemic started. It is now, I just looked this morning, it's over 250 pages long and it's free. So it's a great way for people to keep pace with these developments, it's very difficult to do that, but we're trying to make it easier for everybody um, to to do exactly that. But so many different moving pieces, not just state laws and local laws we mentioned, but CDC guidelines, we talked about AEOC guidelines, OSHA guidelines, so many moving pieces and do keep uh, abreast of that as best you can. Um, Clear communications with your employees. So once you've got that good plan, make sure people know about it. If um, a plan is only as good as your ability to tell folks what to do, Um, so, put that on an intranet, uh, an internet, uh, anywhere, like that your website that's internal, external, what have you, so that your folks can access it. um, And make sure that they get regular communications from you. People are nervous coming back. Um, We've been trained for so long that other people are sort of the the problem because we don't want to be part of spreading this frightening uh, virus. And to sort of Turn on a dime is going to be tough. So, help your employees see all the precautions that you're taking, develop that good plan and communicate. And then give an opportunity for them to ask questions. You know, they're going to say, What kinds of facilities are there for social distancing? What kinds of, are you going to provide masks? Are you, what is the vaccination requirement as we come back into work? Good communications and ways to ask those questions. Um, and then think about those health and safety protocols that you're gonna have as you open the doors back up again for those folks coming back into the office. Again, people are nervous, rightly so. Um, these are folks who've been you know, not socializing and washing their vegetables like it, their life depends on it. I know I was one of those folks early on. So just you know, be patient with people and let them know what you're doing. We've heard from the CDC recently that transmission of the virus over surfaces is um, more rare than we had worried it would be, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. And it also doesn't mean that people's mindset has changed overnight. So to be able to say, look, we, we get it, we know, we're trying to keep you healthy and safe um, by cleaning surfaces and providing um, hand sanitizer and opportunities for um, PPE and hand washing is still gonna help folks sort of even just emotionally kind of come to terms with coming back to work. So those are some good strategies.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's been a lot of a lot of confusion. You know, early on, there there was a lot of focus on that fomite, that that surface transmission. And so we yes. saw especially in the the office industry, a big push towards the plexiglass dividers and the six-foot separated office. And um and honestly, that you know, there wasn't as much of an emphasis on ventilation because we just didn't know at the time, and so you know, with these these the the changing understanding of transmission, you know, employers are are definitely in a hard position in terms of where to invest their money and and what they're responsible for for doing in terms of some of those those health and safety. So, you know, are you seeing anything on the the legal side around um, kind of best tips or best best practices for how to how to change on on those regulations quickly and and you know like what to do like how, you know where should they be investing should they be investing in ventilation now and and what do they do if they spent a ton of money on plexiglass dividers between desks?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I can't speak to very specific industries. I think OSHA has got some very specific guidelines, and I don't want to say anything that runs afoul of those. But I will say that employers are reassessing kind of common understandings we've had throughout the pandemic and trying to reinvest in specialized filtration and um, allowing people to take more time in the environment. Lunch breaks outside, closing down cafeterias. So there has we've certainly seen a reassessment of what constitutes a risk. Um, But, you know, I think people are still concerned. You know, the science is still, um, you know, and I think people like to, employees coming back into these workplaces, like to see that there's wipes available for surfaces, especially because so many of us are using shared desks. And I think even just that psychological barrier of saying like, I, you know, Other people were in this environment, Um, and there's just so much misinformation. I think just being able to cater to people's concerns, um, you know, you don't have to break the bank to just put some hand sanitizing solutions out for employees to give them that sense of comfort, to give them that sense that things are a priority for employers as they come back to work.
0: Yeah, and with with so many layers, you know, you know, you touched on that. There's you know local regulations. There's OSHA. There's CDC. There's the EEOC, which which governs the you know the ADA regulations. Yes, what and Title Seven and Title Seven. So in terms of where employers are getting their information, like where where mm-hmm. should they go to first? Like what you know, kind of is there an mm-hmm. order? terms of making sure that they are in compliance and getting that best up-to-date information? Are there like two or three sources that you recommend they absolutely go to every single time?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the CDC has some of the most regularly maintained content, and it's also more accessible. It's written for really everyone. Lawyers are looking at it too, for sure. But it's really written in a way that's designed to be understandable for for everybody. So I would say this, like when we have um, written about this, we've said, you know, you may want to consider employers... Providing links to CDC content because it is um, designed to be accessible. It's regularly updated. Um, I would look at the website that your state hosts because these, you know, we are seeing outbreaks in different um, quantities. That the response at the state and local level is quite different. Um, so in New York, looking at those specific New York resources, making sure you understand what's the latest about the mask requirements. Um, Are there still caps on the numbers of people in spaces that we're starting to see that change? I think they removed the limitations on the numbers of people in restaurants in New York um, on May 19th. So this is all developing. So I would say the CDC, your your state and local information, and to the extent that you're concerned in particular about employment issues, the EEOC is an important resource, um, guidance just today, as I mentioned, Um, and we'll get into this some more, but the ways in which we're seeing the vaccine develop in terms of the legal understanding is really there's two significant accommodation issues that you need to understand and if you have objections to the vaccine and you are an employee and those are on the basis of disability and on the basis of sincerely held religious belief Um, so if that's something of interest to you and you want to understand how the law how the guidance is being issued how the law is being interpreted at least so far as the agencies are concerned Making sure that you take a look at that EEOC guidance is also very helpful. It might be a little bit lawyerly, but uh, it's developing today, for example. Um, so that's another really important resource.
0: I'd say, yeah, the the um, discussions and debates around testing and now vaccination seem to be picking up even more and more as vaccination becomes more available to everyone and as more people are thinking about having their employees return to the office. Yes. You know, so it, it, in regards to incorporating testing and vaccination, either um, you know, I, I want to, I don't want to use the word mandate too formally, but in terms of you know, what what should employers be looking at in terms of having their employees vaccinated, um, or even asking or inquiring it, what kind of strategies um, should employers be watching out for? So, are you know, are there any pitfalls that they really need to be paying attention to as they start to develop these plans?
1: yeah jamie that's a great question one we've gotten a lot and um, i would recommend if if you have the time anybody wants to take a look at that uh, we did a full webinar on some of these issues and they are are evolving but great question Um, march 11th as you know all adults in the u.s were authorized for the vaccine Um, we're still not 100 there with children and parents are and others are waiting with bated breath about that but we we do now have the three vaccines that we can use as you know, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. But what's interesting is there are 92 vaccines in uh, clinical trials right now across the world. So we may see even more options as we move forward into the end of the pandemic, hopefully. Um, Pfizer was cleared for vaccination of children 12 to 15 before that had been 16 and up. On May 10th, Moderna has now sought approval for vaccination for younger folks, as well as Johnson & Johnson, Moderna a little further along in the line. So we are seeing so many changes so quickly and it's it's um, engendering a lot of these kinds of questions. Now, with respect to mandates, Um, Employers, the short answer to that question is, employers absolutely can mandate the vaccine as long as they are mindful of the concerns that we just talked about. And the EEOC has been very clear on this point that accommodations do need to be made um, in the event that you've got a disabling condition that may prevent you from being able to take the vaccine. And also if you have a sincerely held religious belief um, that those are accommodation, mandates essentially for employers to have what we call the interactive process to say, you have this need, we we want you to take the vaccine, you say you can't, you give us this foundation, let's talk about where we can go with that. And the guidance today from the EEOC, which of course is brands making news, so um, forgive me if I'm um, going off of a, a, a rudimentary read of it, but Nothing in there that I read in terms of accommodation was particularly surprising, but it was nice to see that um, in writing, that the kinds of accommodations we're seeing are, you know, additional PPE, maybe masks or more social distancing uh, as an accommodation, Um, more of those barriers, um, either plexiglass or what have you, um, additional social distancing, additional temperature checks, possibly reassignment, and of course, ongoing remote work. But um, we are also seeing that the um, the people who, or the entities rather, who want to require vaccination um, are rather low. There's a lot of risks associated with that mandate because of the kinds of accommodation obligations employers have. And also there's wage and hour issues and a number of different issues. For example, you do need to uh, compensate non-exempt employees if they are getting that vaccine and going to get the vaccine on... Um, billable time essentially on uh, work worker time. So um, because there's, so, and there's so many questions remaining about the kind of liability that we're looking at states are developing different kinds of guidance on workers comp, for example, and um, lots of opportunities for liability there. So I've read a couple of uh, studies, Ogletree Deacons, which is a large employment law defense boutique did a survey of their clients. And apparently 88% of them are not gonna be mandating the vaccine. Um, In the webinar we just did, we did an informal poll of about 360 people and 95% of those said we will not be mandating the vaccine. And I think that's because employers are taking a good hard look at some of those potential liability risks and there's not a lot of case law and there's not a lot of legislation and there's not a lot of guidance. So um, it seems like folks are are leaning towards making it voluntary and practical law has some really good policies that employers can look to and customize for their needs. But so then the next questions that we get, Jamie, are, okay. let's say I make it voluntary. Then what? You know, I've still got as much risk as I did before, having not mandated. Um, So, some employers are going with a passport system, you know, we've seen it in New York this Excelsior system, um, Mm -hmm. something that's going to show that you are covered, that you've taken the vaccine. Um, That hasn't been very popular because I think it sort of, it does bring a certain series of risks, and also it's logistically sort of complicated. Um, And then the next question is, well, can I, let's say I don't have a, a formal passport, can I ask, have you been vaccinated? And Historically, the answer, and it's funny that we're saying historically, in the midst of this, you know short pandemic season, but but yes, you can ask, um, you get into trouble though, when you say, "Well, why have you not been vaccinated?" That's the portion where you really should draw the line as an employer trying to mitigate your risks. And the guidance today from the EOC underscores that some of those kinds of questions are appropriate. So that was encouraging. Um, And then the next question, and there's so many questions, every question leads to more questions, is about incentives, as as you have alluded to, and certainly the EEOC has opined on today. Um, And that has been a complicated one. You know, it's it's funny because I'm sure employers are going, wait a second, the state of Ohio can have a lottery for a million dollars and I can't give people a gift card? Um, I think that can be confusing. Um, And incentives are allowed, that you can give incentives, but there are certain kinds of risks associated with incentives that are uh, very large. And the EEOC has provided not a lot more guidance than just using the term very large, Um, because you don't wanna create the impression that you're coercing people into getting the vaccine, if they have, especially if they have those um, disabling conditions or a sincerely held religious belief, because you could find yourself facing a discrimination complaint on that basis. There are also um, wage and hour issues. Um, If you give monetary incentives, is that now part of your regular rate of pay for calculation of overtime for your non-exempt employees? And the conservative answer to that is yes. The um, Department of Labor has not issued as of right now, and Lord knows these things change by the minute, guidance to say otherwise. So if you're giving a significant amount of money or even an insignificant amount of money, you may need to think about that for your overtime calculation. Um, No other issues. Is it part of a wellness program? Are there HIPAA complications here? Are there ERISA complications here? What are state and local laws around this? So um, that poses so many questions. But what we've sort of been saying to the subscribers who ask about it are conservative approaches tend towards time off or company swag or a nominal amount of money that is not likely to appear to be coercive. So those kinds of things to to encourage your employees to to get the vaccine. Um, generally a lot of folks are doing that and I, and we see not so much legal risk around that. So there's
0: you know a lot of a lot of what um all worked space touches on is around flexible workspace as as mm. part of the of work. Um, I myself have a co-working space, so I'm a flexible workspace owner mm-hmm. so I'm a building owner and I operate the space. And so we have a lot of different businesses that use the physical office space that and those businesses have their own employees. Right. That adds kind of a different layer of complication for flexible workspace or, you know, building managers, building owners, you know, is the advice pretty consistent? Or is there going to be any other nuances that that flexible workspace operators or people that are managing these office spaces that, you know, who's, whose occupiers the people that use the space aren't their employees uh any, any kind of additional guidance there or is it kind of the, the same advice just keep keep looking at all of the the same sources
1: yeah so jamie i think those same sources are, are going to be helpful because a lot of those the the advice and guidance from the agencies is about workspaces so we'll apply equally now in terms of liability it is a complicated question and um, you know, it's really more of a commercial litigation situation when you're talking about hosting as opposed to an employment litigation situation. But I think some of those good tenants of health and safety are going to help mitigate the risks no matter what your role, whether you're the employer or sort of the physical host of employers, just to maintain some of those really good health and safety practices um, you know, are are you required to do these rigorous, rigorous cleans? You know, you're going to have to look at state and local law. We're going to have to keep pace with the developments that we're seeing at the federal level, too. Um, but some of those things are not break the bank issues and they are going to help anybody who's hosting people keep health and safety, keep people feeling um, that they are being protected. I mean, um, if you signal to the folks that you're hosting that you care about their wellness, you care about their health and safety, that's certainly going to put you into a better position. Now, um, practical law is tracking not just employment, but also commercial litigation, and, and it's evolving. You know, I don't think we're done figuring out some of these things um, in terms of what kind of liability we're looking at, but the best way to protect yourself if you are offering up workplace, a workspace rather, is to keep pace with those CDC developments Keep pace with what OSHA has to say about health and safety best practices and keep up some of those good health and safety practices, because that's really going to help you um, regardless of where we land in terms of some of the litigation we're seeing.
0: So back to the the employer side. Yeah. If an employer does end up um, unfortunately having an issue either with noncompliance or they run into another thing around, you know, vaccines, how do they handle it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and one that we're getting a lot uh, now. Um, You know, the first response is really more of a practical one, which is talk to your employees. Why are they not interested in compliance? Is there something that is quick and efficient and uh, cost effective that you can do to make them feel more comfortable? Especially early on, people were saying, I just don't want to come back because I'm scared and I don't know what you're doing to protect me. Um, And just to say, you know, we have a new kind of filtration system or we have redesigned the office. I know in Thompson Roaders Three Times Square, they really did redesign the office and it gives us a lot of comfort as we're looking towards coming back. Um, Just to be transparent and understand concerns because um, it could be that it's something simple and you don't know until you ask. Don't penalize employees for asking these questions because, God forbid, you should look like you have retaliated against a whistleblower on the basis of health and safety grounds. So be a good listener and try to come up with functional, um, cost-effective solutions. Um, Additional safety measures are a heck of a lot less expensive than facing litigation. So it's better to sort of be a good listener in the earlier um, conversations here. Um, if they're refusing to come into the office, you know, what can you do? Um, it's certainly within your discretion as an employer to of, of employment, but do um, think of creative solutions. Can you do remote work with certain people um, for a certain amount of time? Um, Consider unpaid leave and let them know that perhaps the job will not always be available if they're not taking this leave for a protected reason, but have those conversations because it may be an employee that you'd like to keep on board and have those conversations about um, making it work as best you can. If you're talking about a situation with a disability or a sincerely held religious belief, you do need to think again about more of an accommodation conversation. Um, It needs to be that interactive process and hopefully you can achieve something that will make um, everybody confident and comfortable about moving forward. Um, So what about if they um, are trying to come on the premises and they're not vaccinated? Can you refuse their entry onto the premises? And the answer um, is from the EEOC is if you, if they cannot be reasonably accommodated, then yeah, and and you feel that there is a direct threat um, to your staff, you have the right to protect those in your employee and your customers as well, and say um, no, you you cannot, you know, be here. We've tried to come up with an accommodation, and we have not been able to do so. Um, we feel there's a direct threat, and that's a that's a complicated legal assessment. But the EOC has generally said that. Um, that employers have some authority on this issue. Um, the ESC also does caution against termination as a knee-jerk solution. Um, it's it's you know sort of employment capital punishment and should never be entered into lightly. Um, and it should take into consideration the kinds of accommodation obligations employers may have. Um, and there's so many other solutions um, besides termination. So. Um, at the end of the day, is termination possible? Yes, but you really need to go through the process. Is there something less, um, less dire uh, that can be done to make it work for all involved? Um, and, and then sort of a similar assessment for the folks who are not interested in the wearing a mask, for example, if that's still an ongoing requirement, you as the employer can set the safety standards. Um, but again, you have to be mindful of those accommodation obligations. Um, and the other thing to be aware of, and we talked about this a little bit, is um, in some jurisdictions now, your vaccination status is a protected class. That's that's new that we just read about that in Montana. And again, in Santa Clara, we saw that there's a requirement for businesses to ascertain people's vaccination status. So really keeping pace with that local and state law is crucial.
0: Yeah, and you've brought up remote work a couple different times as, as an accommodation option. Yeah. You know, is that so, you know, a, a lot of workers in the past year have gotten gotten a taste of remote work. And so, you know, a lot of again, this kind of return to office idea is also about, you know, are, are employees going to be hybrid? Are they going mm-hmm. to be full time remote? Uh, do you think that this is um, one it is is a a benefit of being forced into remote work is now there's this additional option that employers are maybe more comfortable with as a potential accommodation? Um, And, you know, are there any other kind of labor and employment concerns that employers should be really focused on in terms of incorporating remote work as a strategy, whether it's for an accommodation or not?
1: Yeah, I was listening to um, a prior podcast you did with um, Bree Reynolds from Flex Jobs, and she had some interesting things to say about about that issue, that we'd gone from 5% remote work full-time to, in the midst of the pandemic to 67%. And I thought that was so interesting to hear from her about that. Um, And I do think employers have realized in ways they didn't before that remote work can work for their organization. I think um, it's been taboo. It's been uh, thought to be... An outlier, and now, of course, we're seeing so many people doing it full time. Um, I do think that some of the remote work is here to stay, but I also think that some employers are going to want to start bringing people back on a hybrid basis. I think um, that seems to be what a lot of employers are um, are doing. My husband is also in employment law, and um, so far, that he's he gets lots of these client calls, and we. You know, we have lots of kitchen table talks around what's going on out there. And at least from his perspective, um, not a lot of employers are saying that's it, we're full-time remote, everybody go work from home for the rest of all time. Most employers that he's hearing from are talking about more of a hybrid model. So although I do think that remote work will be more of a part of the conversation, I don't think it's true that we'll all be working from home for the rest of forever. I just don't think that's where we're gonna land. And of course, this is speculation. but and I also don't think that we're going to have people say, "Well, you gave me this as an accommodation before, therefore you're you have to do it from here on out." I've heard about some um, state OSHAs that have specifically said, just because we offer that during the pandemic doesn't bind us going forward to make this a a constant opportunity, an ongoing right um, of accommodation, uh, or just you know not not sort of legal accommodation, but just. You're not entitled to that as a as a matter of right going forward. and I think employers will have to make those decisions for themselves. Um, some employers remote work is 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 great. Some of people can stay motivated, stay engaged. Some technologies have certainly helped um, keep employees um, on task and focused. Um, but others are finding that people are flagging and they're less less committed to the job. maybe they're less less um Less focused. It just depends, um, and and a lot of that's going to be employers' option.
0: Um, I think we'll probably land somewhere in the middle. Great, thank you so much. Um, are there any other kind of final like words of advice or recommendations that you have for employers as they're starting to you know continue to try to keep up on all this information and navigate this process as we we try to get you know beyond this the pandemic and you know other things are always going to come up so. You know, what what is your general advice on how to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good question. So, of course, we're all focused on recovery from the pandemic right now, but I I don't want employers to lose sight of the sort of the good practices going forward that we're going to need to focus on once we're sort of back to whatever this new normal is. Um, making sure that we're complying with um, anti-harassment training, diversity training, creating inclusive environments. Um, it, it, there's so many other things as we touched on at the start of the podcast in terms of diversity, um, ongoing racism and violence against people on the basis of race and religion. So I think once we can sort of get our bearings with respect to where we are in the pandemic and recovery, I, I do want to remind employers of the importance of going back to fundamentals. Um, and helping people with things beyond the pandemic, things about, you know, good practices of inclusion and diversity and eliminating sexual and other kinds of harassment. So just to be mindful of that, that, that our work is not done um, creating good, safe, and welcoming workplace environments.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Kate. This has been incredibly helpful and informative. You know, there's a lot to keep keep up on, and I think this is really going to benefit a lot of our listeners. I really appreciate you being here and taking the time with us today.
1: Thank you, Jamie. It's been a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us uh, with Kate Bally from Thompson Reuters Practical Law on the Future of Work podcast with allwork.space. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?